Thanks for listening to CarCast on Podcast One. Hi there, and welcome to The Inevitable. This is our new podcast where we're talking about the future of the car. This means everything from electrified vehicles to cars that drive themselves. Where are we going and how will we get there? I'm Johnny Lieberman from Motor Trend, joined by... Ted Lowe, and we are going to talk to some amazing guests. We have Reggie Watts, we have Sung Kang, we have James Marsden, we have Spike Fairston, Kristen Lee, Derek Jenkins, a whole bunch of actors, celebrities, car crazy folks, people from in and outside the industry. It's going to be great and you can find it on podcastone.com or anywhere you find you listen to your favorite podcast. We're also doing a video series as well. That's on motortrend.com slash the inevitable or on youtube.com slash motortrend. Come join us. Well, in this show, we'll talk about the Toyota 2000 maybe going to break the $2 million Yeah, well, it's a special one. It's a special one, but we'll take a dive into that story. We'll get you caught up on the new Ferrari SUV and the Matt's driving experience with the Genesis uh, GV70. First, there's Geico. Hey, Geico, do you own? Do you rent? Well, you do one or the other, right? You know, it's hard work out there. Owning, renting. You want to save some money? How about your bundle? Bundle your policies at Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle the homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you got so much to do already. Go to Geico.com. Get a quote. See just how much you could save at Geico. That is Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Get it on. Got to get it on. No choice, baby. Get it on. Mandate. Get it on. Welcome to CarCast Man Coral. That's Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea, over there. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Uh, good. It's been a busy past few days. Uh, had to move the warehouse, you know, from, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I think I walked 17 miles, 20 miles, something like that. Just going back and forth all day Saturday and Sunday, back carrying shit one to the other, one to the other, one to the other. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's good they're kind of in the same, you know, kind of complex. It'd be like, you know, moving stuff from here to the to the garage over there. Mm-hmm. But it was just a lot of that. And, of course, the damn place wasn't ready. I keep telling the landlords, like, somebody's moving into my old place. We got to get this going. So the paint wasn't done. Mm-hmm. And the electrician has to come out, but so now the paint isn't done, so I have to move all my shit to the center of the warehouse, away from the wall, so they can finish the paint. Mm-hmm. And then lights and stuff need to be fixed, but the electrician can't come in and fix the lights because all my shit's in the middle of the room. So I got to wait for the paint to finish, move all my stuff toward the wall, so the electrician can come in with the lift. <laughs> like whatever the bucket truck or the lift thing and the scissor lift and fix the lights and i was like why wasn't any of this done ahead of time and they, nobody's got an answer for that nobody's got an answer for that because the building manager gets to sit in his office and just make phone calls <laughs> to yeah. everybody that has to do the stuff <laughs> well you know it's it's an in- the, the thing about life if you're sort of a planner and you have a motor, and you you kind of pay attention. That's fine if you can get enough of those people around you. 
<laughs> but yeah. sometimes you can't get enough of those people around you, and then it just becomes this weird world of, you know, people come out, and then you go, where's the whatever tool? And they go, it's back at the shop. And you go, why didn't you take it with you? And they go, I can go back and get it. Like, yeah, I always well, love... I, I know. I know that part. I, it's, it's always a... It, it, was, it was always a funny... It, uh, the answers are always funny to me. Mm-hmm. Like, like when I used to say to Gary back in the day, I'd go, oh, I'd go, he'd come out or whatever. I'd go, do you got a router? And he'd go, yeah. And I'd go, oh, okay, well, we'll go get it. And he'd go, at home? <laughs> I'd go like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I, it's a weird, it's, it's always weird. It's also always weird to me when people go, you know, when you go, um, they're you know they're painting and they they do that thing that drives me nuts it's just like they don't take off the switch plate they uh, like paint around uh, the switch plate i got they're outlets work. painted they're the worst uh, i got the, outlets the painted. worst the worst yeah. and then you go you go hey uh don't paint around you already painted the wall why don't you take the switch plates off and then they go I could take the switch plates off and then paint and then put them back on you got I, yes that's yes. what i'm saying but I'm not asking, is it possible or how do switch plates work? It's weird. It's weird when that answer is what should have been done. And then the option is, is I'll just go back home and get the thing I didn't bring. And then I'll come back again. The the switch plates. I don't know what goes on with so many apartments in LA, Mm. but it's just, and then it's just layer after layer and you can't get a plug in there anymore. And uh, like, the, the painter that does it must laugh each time going, oh, this is definitely going to screw them up. This is fantastic. Because the one screw that they that holds on most of the plates, they don't want to do that screw. I, 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 listen, <laughs> don't get me started, but the switch plate to me is no different than the dishwasher, which is you're standing at the sink, you got the hot water running, you're wiping the plate down with the sponge and then you're loading the dishwasher, running the dishwasher and unloading the dishwasher. You're standing there. You're done. Just f- let it rinse another four seconds and then put it on the rack. Yeah. The plate's clean. Yeah, It's done. We're done. And the <laughs> thing about the switch plate, they did it here. It drove me nuts too in the studio. Why are you masking off the switch plate and then painting around it. So much There's more time. One than, screw. So much more time than the There's one screw. There's one miniature <laughs> slot head screw yeah. in the middle that holds a goddamn switchblade on. Just undo that screw, set it down, paint to your heart's content. Yeah. I I'll put it back on. Yeah. It, I would it, rather. If I walked into the warehouse and there was just a pile of screws and switchblades, I'd be like, this is great. I would love is, that. It, <laughs> T- taping around the switchblade yeah. and then cutting it in around the tape, which always leaves that weird bead that goes up against it, is much more work than yeah. popping off the switchblade. So here, here's a question for you. In the warehouses, the, the conduit is on the wall, right? It's just sort of there's nothing in the wall. It's a warehouse. And then it comes... Surface amount. And then it's it comes to the box. Do you Do you paint the conduit... Do you paint the box? And if you paint the box, do you paint the face, the front of the box, which would be kind of like the switch plate? Like, how much do you paint and how much do you not paint? It, 
If you try to paint around the conduit, it's going to be a little bit of a shit show. Yeah. Unless you're going the exact same color. I personally, I think, I'd have to see how it looked, but I would cut in around the the rigid conduit and then I would spray the conduit with some Krylon, you know, off-white or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. the closest color was. Yeah. Probably do it that way. Now, or, you could, you could yeah. do that by hand manual. Like, you could do that with, I don't know, like, you could just tuck two pieces of cardboard in. Like, the wall's painted. Mm-hmm. The conduit maybe is painted or you, you got close. Hit the cardboard in there, shoot it with the spray can, move the cardboard up, shoot it. It's and it'll it'll be close enough. But yeah. do you do the box and then the face of the box? Uh the box is gray now. I, I would spray paint the box yeah. too, if I was looking if so, I cared. I would say all of the conduit was painted with the walls, which I can live with, but and I got the boxes painted with the walls because nobody wants to tape them off or anything. But now I've got a random mix, depending on who was painting and what day, of the face painted and the face not painted. By the way, when I say the face of the box painted, I mean, of course, with the outlets or the switches, right? So this is all (laughs) when I I was I was working on an apartment building in Hollywood when I was like 21 and the painters came in and. They like moved the refrigerator and they just sprayed over a bunch of dead roaches that were on the wall. <laughs> and I've realized because here's here's the here's the this is it. And then we're going to talk cars. <laughs> here's the deal: painting an apartment or warehouse or or a car, all the money's in the prep. Yeah, it's all in the prep, and so. If you want to take your car down to the Earl of Scheib and get it painted, <laughs> fine. You can do it for eighty nine bucks, but there's not going to be a lot of prep. Yeah, that that's that's how it works. If any, if <laughs> you're lucky, if they wash it, right? So <laughs> paint the dirt. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah. And w- what happens with the apartment buildings or L.A. or warehouses is somebody comes in and then they give a bid, and the bid to paint it right and to pull all the plates off and to you know do all do it right that's considerably higher than the one where they just come in and spray over everything yeah. and roll over everything and so then the the person goes oh shit i'll take i'll take the low bid you take the low bid with painting you you get what you you're bought. definitely getting what you're paid for <laughs> I, it is it is no different than painting a car yeah you go that low bid you will you will yeah you will get what you paid for so, uh, moving on to cars now. Ferrari's going to launch its first SUV. Yeah, huh? so Ferrari's doing uh, uh, an SUV, pure pure sangue, pure sun, pure sangue, pure sangue. <laughs> it's it's better when you hear it in a really Italian accent. Mm-hmm. But I, I was I brought this up with Goldberg as well. We were chatting this week, uh, you know, on on the podcast, going, you know. Years ago, we were people were kind of poo-pooing the idea, going, "Oh, you're going to destroy the brand if you're a Porsche or whatever." But I think we've proven that's not the case. The companies end up selling a lot of SUVs; they become more financially stable, 
And I would argue we're at an all-time high with values with things like Porsche sports cars, 911s, GT cars. So having a... The Lambo uh, SUVs sold quite nicely, or at least it yeah. appears Aston Martin uh, is selling. To me. Yeah. You know, Lamborghini Urus, uh, Porsche, mm-hmm. uh, Bentley, Rolls mm-hmm. Royce. Like, they're mm-hmm. all selling SUVs now. And it's not really taking away from the prestige of owning the, the Ferrari cars. Now, it's basically actors who were film actors doing TV shows and commercials. It's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're going to ruin the brand. Well, not really. Not anymore. George Clooney does his coffee commercial or whatever. And you're yeah. like, fine. Right. Yeah. That's how it works. And you know, how many big film actors in the day are, ended up being huge TV stars, Kiefer Sutherland and right. Rob Lowe. And right. Right. Like, uh, yeah. So you listen, Ferrari is a public company. They make something like 11,000 cars a year. Making 15,000 cars a year could dilute the value of those cars. But making still 11,000 cars and making 5,000 SUVs, I don't think changes the cars. How is my Ferrari shooting brake doing? The uh, Oh, the Luso? The Luso. So there was the FF that came out prior to that, and then it was renamed the GT4 Luso. And I, I don't see many of those trading. I don't s- I don't see many trading right now. And I had this conversation with Brad Fanshawe the other day, and I'm like, FF is not a bad, like, modern-day purchase, right? You got to – you either like the styling or you hate it, right? There's not a lot of middle ground. I like it. And but I, do, I like the BMW coupes. Yeah, yeah, the M coupe. Which are going up. Yeah. I don't know. Where are we on the market of uh, the Ferrari FF or the GT4 Lusos? What are the price of those cars? In I the- think the FF I drove – you know the 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 progression of that car, the Luso, is is the better one. In a world where many of these modern cars are going for all the money these days, that one I don't know if that's popped up yet, and I might uh, I might want to you might want to get that one. Yeah, it's an interesting car, and it's it was really fantastic to drive. Yeah, the other Ferrari that's definitely popping oh yeah so i don't know 120 120 130 140 grand that's cheap for the ff how about the luso the gt4 luso i'm just curious to see if if that was a much better car or or slightly better car the car that's uh popping which i've always was always kind of confused by in the ferrari department but there's a couple coming up at auction with some pretty high estimates the car i used to own which is the 360 stradale yeah i'm always like that's a ton of car and they were just 90 to 110 all day long yeah. for the longest period of time and i'm like it's a real i mean it is a it is a street legal race car and it is a cool piece and and it looks good and it mm-hmm. just it's perfect and i'm like why is that 100 grand yeah and they're 250 280 yeah, they, they went quickly they, uh, they went quickly. Speaking of that, we were kind of speculating. I think it was the last episode where you're telling me about the uh, first Japanese car to the uh, the Lusos 175 to two, which is still quite a bit under sticker. Yeah, I kind of feel like if you're within thirty to fifty thousand dollars between the FF and the and the Luso, you might want to lean toward the Luso. Although, I mean, obviously, it's still fifty thousand dollars, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
yeah, you know, kind of interesting. I, I haven't done enough research on them to figure out kind of what the quirks were, what the bugs were, um, you know, like every car would have. So uh, I, cost of ownership, I'd be curious. I don't know. That car is 2014 or something now or whatever. It's been been a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's been a little bit. Um, I would say that the way the more modern car market, supercar, exotic car market is going – I think those cars are still a little undervalued. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a good a good purchase. I think and, you'd do okay. And that's a big statement because everything is overvalued right now. Everything seems to be really high. So if you're looking for something that might be interesting at a good price, I agree on those cars. Well, speaking of overvalued, so we're talking about previous show, we're talking about um, first Japanese car to get over $2 bucks. And uh, lo and behold, uh, a Toyota, 67 Toyota 2000 GT, the Shelby C production race car, is coming up for auction at Amelia Island with um, 275 to 35, I think it is, memory serves. Um, Sounds very ambitious to me. Very ambitious. Now, maybe it's just all things Shelby. Maybe it's that the 2000s are knocking on the door of a million bucks again, you know, and it, it's really, a, it looks great in that race, race trim with those Shelby American colors on it. And I don't know if people know that story, but, and I'll screw it up a little bit. So you, you fill in the blanks okay. if, if I, if I screw this up, but the story, you go Shelby Toyota, what's up? Yeah. Uh, the answer to the story is by the, you know, mid later, you know, by 66, maybe 67, Shelby was kind of done with the GT40 and done with the Daytona and done with Pete Brock. And mm-hmm. th- that was that was that, you know, Pete Brock, like I said, after they got done winning the manufacturer's championship with the Daytona, he just sort of came back to Shelby and someone else was in his office basically is how he described it. So he got his walking papers and then he went and took the Hino, the Hino sports car. Hino was doing some sort of Japanese sports car. Hino, the truck manufacturer. Yeah. was doing a car and uh, I'll screw it up a little, but I'm basing on what Brock told me or us. He took the Hino uh, Brock did his magic on the Hino sedan sports car, uh, you know, took it to Riverside and like won the class. And that people became very impressed uh, on what Pete Brock could do with a Japanese car. And so then a lot of the other Japanese car, I guess, manufacturers wanted to know who this guy was and what they could do for us. And then Hino and Dotson had some sort of relationship or somebody at Hino or whatever, and long story, or, or Toyota, maybe Hino and Toyota. I think Toyota bought Hino or some version of that. That's Later, what, yeah. Uh, Toyota, I think, still owns it. There was some relationship there. And so they said, hey, we're going to do this Toyota 2000 sports car, and why not give it to Brock and let him breathe on it? And let's go racing. And then uh, Brock said, good. And uh, and we'll do a dealership and blah, blah, blah. And then Shelby said, what's that? 
You're going to do a dealership with Toyota? Yeah. I could use a dealership with Toyota. Yeah. And then he just sort of walked in and said, um, wouldn't you guys rather have a Shelby Toyota dealership on the heels of all the winning Shelby just got right. doing at Lamar and beyond versus Brock Toyota dealership? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll take Shelby. And so he <laughs> yeah. took over the whole thing. And then Brock was uh, shit out of luck. And then somebody, maybe at Hino or maybe wherever, got him hooked up with Dotson. And mm-hmm. then he said, all right, now we're going to build Dotson race cars. And we're going to follow Shelby around wherever, wherever they go to race. We're going to go to race. And we're, we're going to beat them and get all the points. And... And it's it's payback time for Shelby. Yeah. And and according to Brock or anyone else, and even according to the description in the the um, the auction site, that car won out, had some limited, very limited success. Never really, it never really performed how they wanted it to perform. I think and. And I don't know. It wasn't like a big podium car or winning car. It was no. a, it was a top. 10 car. I don't think there are any of those 2000s. I, I think I think Shelby, I don't know Chris, if you can see wh- who would those Shelbys have raced against like John Morton and his 240Z. Well, it was a C production. It says. Right. Um, so in 68 it ran uh, the C production class for imports. Uh, well, there was no Z in Alfa Romeo, Datsun, Lotus, Nissan, Porsche, Triumph would have maybe been in those. Yeah, C production. I'm, tr- but here's the thing: five tens were B production. Two thousand Roadsters were D production. Zs were C production, but I don't think they had a Z in '68. So then who was the... Yeah, what, what were they running against? Dotson. Anyway, um, I don't think the car had much success, and then that that was that. I think Shelby got kind of like, eh, if we can't go out and win, I don't, I don't want to... He, he, he seemed to get disinterested in it, this it's, car. It's got a fourth place, it's got a third place, and not much at, after that. But Shelby built three of these, uh, of these cars. Mm-hmm. And of course, the total production of the Toyota 2000 GT was 351 units. So there's there's three. Limited. I've Shelby never I, I've never seen one of these things in the wild. Have you? I I've seen a lot of 2000s uh, Toyotas, but I've not seen the Shelby version. Um, it's so, it's interesting. Is it going to break two million bucks? It's going to Amelia Island. We find out. Uh, look, soon. every every. Every auction, I always kind of pick out my that is ambitious car, mm-hmm. a very ambitiously priced car. Uh, the two seven to three five or the two seven five to three five feels pretty ambitious. But if it if they got close to it, it would still be the first Japanese car to break two million bucks. Except for, isn't that Mazda Lama class winning 
orange and green, like early 90s car. Didn't that thing sell? And what was the, what that thing sell for? You know what I'm talking about? We saw it at Amelia Island. Mm-hmm. That thing. What year's that thing? 89. Oh, the sold for one seven fifty. Oh, but the yeah, the one eight to two four was the one. Yeah, so so one seven fifty. What it, it sold when like two thousand seventeen or something? Yeah, two thousand seventeen. Right now, that now I was telling you on the phone. I was like, that car would break a million bucks. Two million. Oh, I'm sorry, two million bucks yeah. now. Yeah, but it's not for sale. And what's the Nissan prototype, uh, the blue or the kind of purplish blue race car that they bring out? Like what they brought it to Amelia Island to show with your cars when we did the car cast there. The what, the ones that Electromotive built? The, I think so. But Nissan has it. They bring like it out. Like they're a GTP, the, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, like a really successful. Yeah, I mean, obviously I, I it say, didn't sell, but there are some. I mean, what? Oh, there's some that may be out there. It's yeah. just they're not for sale. They're not for sale. So I, I guess what we're saying is is some of the references, the articles being written, um, are are we talking about the first car, Japanese car, to sell for more than $2 million, which I believe is the case, or what's worth more than $2 million, You know, but... And then... The, the estimate here is uh, 2750000 to three point five. No, I know it's, it's a big. I, 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 it's, it's not. Okay. It's a kind of a big. But here, window then there. here's a here's a question. What if it stalls out at two one and there's a no sale? Then it didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't sell because then we're talking about value again. We're not talking about sold. That's why I was bringing it up. Yeah. Are we talking about cars that are worth that much? Or are we talking about cars that sold that much? This thing had a whopping two hundred and ten horsepower. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a it's a two liter. It's a cool uh, lump because it's a twin cam, Mm -hmm. but it's only two liter. I mean, there's only so much you can get out of a two liter. Um, And then the question is, um, who was it racing against? What Datsun? Were there 510s in there? Yeah. So, Chris, maybe you can find it. In 1968, SCCAC production who was running in that and running in that back then. But uh, this is an interesting car. I, I, you know, the values of these, they went up, they went down. This is a Shelby piece. The market's pretty hot right now. Uh, You know, it could, it could do it. It could get there. It's, it's, it's pretty unique. I'd be curious to know where are the other two cars? What happened to the other two Shelby cars? Well, you know, a lot, I'll bet you at least one of them got painted red and just put back in street, you know, whatever. Yeah, right. Uh, number one. Um, number two, you know, as we always talk about, it's it's always the story, mm-hmm. you know. And so the reason this car may fetch some money is because of the story. And the story, while not a rich uh, lineage of winning at, at racetracks. The story is, is, you know, every, you know, when you have the uh, Shelby convention or the Shelby meet or the Shelby club or, mm-hmm. or whatever, everyone in their mother pulls up in a, in a Mustang 
couple of 289 Cobra guys come pulling up. And then you come pulling up in your Toyota. Yeah. <laughs> and then people are like, why is this at the Shelby thing? And then they think it's some sort of tribute thing. Like, you know, when you paint a Mazda Miata up like a Pete Brock car or something like that, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, you yeah. know, what, what is this? And you go, oh, no, it's Shelby. Yeah, he built yeah. this car. Yeah. He only made three of them. He made six Daytonas, but he only made three of these. It's all, yeah. that's the story, right? Right. That when I was talking to Sean in the other shop, I was like, uh, there's a Shelby 2000 Toyota that's up for sale. He's like, Shelby? Yeah. Because we're so used to everything. You know, Ford F-150 truck with the Shelby badge and all the Mustangs. And you're right. Everything American. You're right. You bring this Japanese car to a Shelby meetup. Everything's American. But then you bring this to the Japanese classic car show, and it's, it's the only Shelby there at that event. Yeah, you could picture yourself at a Shelby meetup with a bunch of 65 Mustangs, 66 Mustangs, Cobras, even a even a 350R Mustang or whatever. And you pull up in that grouping and the crowd is going to be around the Toyota. I, I think the Shelby Museum in Colorado should get this car. I think this is an important part of the story that they are telling over there. They have some of the, you know, the A-list cars in the in the Shelby lineup, and I f- I feel like this car needs to be in that collection. I'm I'm sure these guys are fully aware well, of it, wouldn't, and I don't know what they're doing with their cash these days. It wouldn't take up a lot of room. It would it would take up a lot of room. They that got car a space. is somewhere between a 240Z and a Miata. Even I even wonder is that would you think the wheelbase for that would be you think a Miata's wheelbase or overall length yeah. is bigger than that car that, that, so it was interesting because you you want to because of the shape you want to park it next to the Shelby Daytona coupe mm-hmm. and kind of see wheelbase and size and height and length like you kind of want to see those two together and of course at the museum that'd be the best place to do it but yeah it it, it so at the museum, which we've hung out with, uh, many, we've hung out with Let's the see. boys over there many times. Uh, the only barrier to entry there is all those cars have so much crazy winning history. Yeah, you know, big time, big time. So they think this car's history. a loser. They don't want to pick. We don't want to lose. It's a it, it, look. It, it, it there'd be many more conversations when people came in around that car yeah. than there would around one of the 11 Cobras that are sitting in there. You know what I mean? There's only there's only so many Cobras you can look at, you know, before you just sort of yeah. swimming a little. I think, uh, oh, by the way, uh, 90.9, basically almost 91 inches wheelbase on a Mazda Miata, 90.9 inches. 90.9. Okay, so let's just say 91 inches. Okay. If you had a guess on the Toyota, I would say that now the Toyota has a straight six mm-hmm. versus a straight four. So it's a little, you know, it's two cylinders longer to some degree. Mm-hmm. But that's a, that car's much it's, smaller it's, than people think. Yeah. And I, I'll say the Toyota's smaller. It's not, but 91.7. 
versus 90.9. All right, but this, hold on. Let's, <laughs> it's basically let's, the same. Let's it's, not skate past my genius. <laughs> yeah. You oftentimes just breeze by my genius. No, let's focus on it. Let's, We've got 20 more minutes. It's 90, <laughs> 91 versus 91 in five eighths yeah. or three quarters yeah. or, or uh, nine sixteenths or whatever it is. It's the same length. It's the same and length. And I was thinking, it's a little car. And so I was thinking, like, what's another popular little car? And that's a popular yep. little car. Yeah, it's the same. It's a little car. I think, I, I, you know, the, the Toyota has a little more overhang, right? Like I wonder, rear. I'm curious yeah, what, the, what, the, the, what the overall length is. But either way, it's a, it is a pea shooter of a car when you get up on it. Mm-hmm. It's not a big dude could not. Get in that car and be comfortable. Right. I I may be a little tall for that for that car. When you do see the car in person, you see it. I think there's one in the Peterson Museum. I think there's a white one in there. And we've seen a couple at auction a few years ago, eh, maybe more than a few years ago now, five years ago, six years ago, when they were you know, hitting a million bucks. We saw a few at come up at auction. And yeah, when you walk up on it, you're like, eh, it's a little smaller than I thought. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like yeah, you know it's just kind of it's just kind of interesting. We saw them. It's like Mila Kunis. <laughs> yeah. When you see her in real life, you're like, oh, well, she's cute. Yeah, it's a little smaller. Not than I really thought. what I was picturing, <laughs> but but she's cute. That's what yeah. that that car is. Uh, something that you and I talked about on the phone the other day when we first found this car, this listing was. When you get into the storytelling of things, the story about Brock getting involved and Shelby stepping in and kind of sort of taking away that deal and then Brock going to Nissan and putting a deal together, it seemed like, I'm sure, you know, a a kick in the crotch to Pete Brock at the time. But without that move, as you pointed out on the phone, we probably wouldn't have the BRE cars that we have today and Brock's long relationship with with Nissan and Datsun and you know, the Roadsters, the 510s, you know, Z's. the Zs uh, and the success he had there. I mean, we... I, I don't see how we could have. I mean, I, who knows what he would have done with that 2000? I, I probably would have won. Probably, <laughs> but it, maybe it wasn't a great platform and... Maybe he wouldn't have had a ton of success, and maybe that would yeah. have been that. I, mean, I don't know. Financially, Shelby's move was, these are $7,000 cars, give us three, and Toyota gave him a $500,000 budget to, to field the race team. They did. Yeah. I didn't know that. Who, Chris, did they run against in those races? That's the All question. Right. few entry lists here. Let's... Um, let's see. C production, uh, Bruce Jennings and a Porsche, Bob Sharp and a Datsun, a Porsche 911. What, S. what was Bob Sharp driving? Uh, it just says Datsun in the entry list here. So that's um, 68. Yeah. I, it's gotta be, I think Sharp got one of the, maybe the first Z like delivered to North America, but that still would have been 69. I'm or seeing, 70. Yeah, this, this is April 68. Uh, uh, a TR250. Mm-hmm. Um, um, let's see here. I'm sorry. There, I have a few different uh, things here. Lotus 11, Lamar. So 
a couple different Porsches. And those cars were pretty sorted, you know, those Porsches and those Lotuses and stuff like that. And yeah. the Toyota probably wasn't that sorted, you know. Yeah, I think we read in the notes from Gooding that Porsche is the one that, that won. And they when, when they got their third in the Toyota and their fourth in the Toyota, I think it was Porsche was... Yeah, and Sharp was, must have been running... Be curious to see what Sharp was running there. Was he running a Roadster? Was he running a, uh, or was he running a, a um, five ten? Interesting. Uh, I know. Also, you were driving the uh, Genesis uh, GV seventy SUV. I yeah. saw that thing. A lot of diamond, di- <laughs> diamond <laughs> stitching everywhere. But that that car looks good. Yeah, I'm so really the, I'm I'm all in on on Genesis. I I just I like that. The uh, the GV80 was the slightly larger SUV. We did the road trip to Vegas when we went out for Barrett Jackson. The GV70 is a new model for them. It's a it's a little smaller. Um, I believe the one that I'm driving is the 3.5 liter engine, 375, 374 horsepower. They V6. Have a, V6 turbo. Uh, turbo. Yeah, twin, probably. Uh, I mean, it's 0 to 60 in 4.9 seconds. Um, it, you're right, the interior is nice. You don't have to get the, the diamond stitch. This one has uh, the, want, the red and black leather with uh, the red seatbelts, kind of the sportier version I of it. I want diamond on the steering wheel. Right? Yeah, <laughs> and that might be a little too. Top of the dash, a little steering too much. wheel, headliner. <laughs> little, headliners I've seen. I've seen. Really? Diamond Stitch Headliners, and I've seen some, um, I want to say Aston Martin uh, does, uh, not Diamond Stitch per se, but they they do some personality. They got some yeah. character in the headliner, mm-hmm. and they give it kind of a uh, a thing down the middle, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's, that's kind of cool. Uh, driving around for the week, I think it's quick. Um, sitting around in in normal traffic, highway and street traffic, you know, getting twenty something, twenty plus miles per gallon, mm-hmm. um, and it's nice. I mean, I I think it's nice. There's on the center console. There's two round dials, which as you're getting one of them is the gear selector, and the other one controls the infotainment system. Mm-hmm. Now we're 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 starting to figure out. You know, like. The iDrive from BMW when it came out, and what Lexus is still doing with the trackpad. The trackpad is the worst. I don't like that one at all. We're figuring out we need to be able to control these systems more than one way. So mm-hmm. you can you can turn and toggle the dial for the infotainment system, or you can touch the screen. Sharp was driving a 2000 Roadster. 2000 Roadster. Makes right. sense. Sorry, go ahead. So now we're having multiple ways to do, right? You have steering wheel controls, you have some center control controls, you have some touchscreen controls, and you end up realizing you kind of fuss around with all three depending on as you as you start to remember what does what. And it kind of depends. Are you turning and, and changing the volume? Are you braking? Are you, you know, doing something else? Are you drinking your coffee or, or whatever? Like you start to realize there you don't it's it's too much to have just one system do it. So anyway, that's being becoming more intuitive across the lineup of of cars. But I think this thing looks good. Of recently, 
the only other car that I kind of get stopped, people have been asking questions a couple of months ago, is the Mustang Mach-E. People have been hearing a lot of it. It's a Mustang. It's EV. They're like, oh, is that the new EV? Is that the new Mustang? Yes. And the Genesis. When I drove the the GV80, everyone's like, is that a Bentley? I'm like, no, but I'm sure they love that you think so. And the GV70, I just get stopped. And it's priced in that range. It's priced in the range where it gets a lot of people's attention. It seemed for so long like Genesis came out, and then everyone's like, eh, but it's a Hyundai, and I don't know about it. Um, And then it started doing well and winning awards and getting really good reviews. And it's interesting because I was having this conversation recently about how Genesis has been able – to build a luxury brand where the quality, the perception of its luxury and quality worked, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know that people see a huge difference between Honda and Acura quality-wise, and I would even argue some people think the Honda name is a better-built quality name than Acura. Toyota and Lexus, I think there's a difference. I think people feel like Lexus is a better quality car, and the way they make Lexus, it is a better quality car. I think Genesis and Hyundai has a bigger separation. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, in the car world, in values, we talk about the Gullwing dragging up the 190. I think the Genesis brand is dragging up the Hyundai brand. I think Hyundai brand is getting more attention because Genesis is coming off as the award winners. So mm-hmm. it's just as a, from a brand standpoint, what they've yeah. done, it's it's, I'm very impressed with it. And the I car is too. impressive. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause Chrysler with the 300 tried to kind of go, eh, we'll yeah. do a Bentley look yeah, here. Yeah. Cause you can shape sheet metal however you want to shape it. So they went, well, why not just shape our $40,000 car like a $275,000 car, <laughs> which is, I've always said that with diamond stitching. Just yeah. go do what they're doing. It's not, it doesn't cost anymore. But you can look at it. You know, it's one thing to kind of mimic the shape of it. But when you get inside of the Chrysler 300, you're not confused you do not think you've entered a Bentley at that point. And I think what Genesis has done is they went like, if we are going to, you know, people are going to squint and think we're Bentley going by at 60 miles an hour. That's one thing, but somebody has to get into this car and drive it. Yeah. And they're going to know if we don't get close that they're in a Chrysler 300. You you know what I mean? So, right. I think they just took it to the next whatever. And it does feel like you're getting a lot for your money in that car. You may grab, you know, a a sun visor or or a particular dial and go, "Yeah, I get it. It's not crystal." <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and it feels like a little light, but but you do look at it and you go, "Oh, but the interior lighting is very cool and the dial does work well." And you're like, because I got a lot from my money, mm-hmm. right? You don't start to nitpick as much. Like you get into the Bentley. Listen, I, I saw this. I told this about the Aston Martin. When you get into the Aston Martin, you hit a bump on the 405. All the AC vents drop down. They're all blowing on your knees because there's not enough tension on the really? on the louvers of the. I've driven two of them already, uh, and they both did that. 
Uh, well, and then, I was like, why why does why can we nail that in a Genesis and we can't nail that in in a DB eleven? Right. You know, why has it gotta be the cheap plastic? Why can't it have some nice smooth tension on it? Some you know Yeah. Uh, that's the thing. Listen, if you if you if the AC vent vents felt a little cheap in the Genesis, you're like, okay, I, I can sign off on that because everything else, the package feels like I got a lot for my $52,000. Yeah, there, there's, you know, it's one thing to look at a condo in Reseda for seven hundred and fifty grand. I know people who are listening thinks that's expensive, but <laughs> sadly it's not. And then you go to the Palisades and you're looking at one for 4.2 million bucks. But if the one in Reseda has a Home Depot closet put in where they just went and got the blanks and did the kit and then whatever, yeah. you go, yeah, all right. And all the outlets are painted. Yeah, it's, it's under a million bucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if you go into the $4.2 million place yeah. and you walk into the walk-in closet and it's got the Home Depot slabs, uh, uh, pre-drilled slabs, you're fucked up. Yeah. Like immediately, like, why, why, why? is this here? Yeah. And it's the same thing. It's it's not really, is the closet good or bad? It's, hey, man, for $4.2 bucks, I want the guy from Closets, Closets, Closets mm. to make a custom unit. Yeah. All right. I... Uh, Note to go out on. You can go to adamcrolla.com for all the uh, live shows. Uh, Spokane is coming up February 17th and then uh, 18th and 19th. That's uh, Tacoma, Washington. And we're doing live shows, doing stand up, doing the whole thing there. Waukegan at the Genesee Theater, March 10th. Let's go to adamcrolla.com for all the live shows. You can pre order my book. It's, it's all there. What do you got, Matt? Uh, we got uh, got the sack Mustang in. I'll post some photos of that, so just follow me at, at Motorator. We can talk about it. So, until next time, Adam Crow for Matt, the Motorator, DeAndrea saying, keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. Hey, Geico, do you own? Do you rent? Well, you do one or the other, right? You know, it's hard work out there. Owning, renting, you want to save some money? How about your bundle? Bundle your policies at Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle the homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you got so much to do already. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, see just how much you could save at Geico. That is Geico.com today. That's Geico.com.